This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction. This is your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world, along with tips and strategies for maximizing your career in tech. We also bring you interviews with the leading women in the tech industry, talk to youth who are rapidly building their tech knowledge, and review business solutions that will give you insights on how technology is solving business problems. Now, here's your host, Jennifer Didier. Welcome, and thank you for joining me on Tech in the Right Direction. I'm your host, Jennifer Didier, President and CEO of Directions Training. Each week, we talk with industry experts about technology trends that are emerging and changing businesses today, the career journey of IT professionals, understanding the world of women in tech, as well as talking to our youth that are rapidly building their technology skill sets. We also review case studies that provide insight into how technology is solving business and world problems. I'm excited about our guest today, so let's get moving in the right direction. This week in our tech career segment, I will be talking with Matthew Calder. Matthew is a senior product marketing manager at Microsoft, focused on connecting developers with information and resources to help them build cloud-native apps using Azure. In his previous role, he spent five years focused on Microsoft's online training initiatives for technical audiences. Before pivoting his career to helping people build technical skills, he worked in the entertainment industry, creating cloud-based solutions for engaging reality TV fans. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Thanks for having me here. Great. Uh, let's get started. Can you share with us a little bit about your career path in technology? Sure. Um, I, th- I think that, you know, what makes my career path a little a little interesting is my, you know, I started my career in technology uh, when I dropped out of a PhD program in comparative literature back in 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my background was in, um, essentially, I was a poetry translator. I was focused on understanding how people in the Renaissance were performing plays that had been written in ancient Rome. Mm. Um, and it, uh, I think what, you know, prepared me, you know, for technology in that is the, I think two things really, first of all, being able to see the world through a completely different point of view. Um, as I was trying to figure out, you know, well, why, you know, why did Machiavelli find these plays so funny <laughs> um, and trying to get the jokes um, you know, you, you found that I found that the more I could get my head around, you know, what these people's lives were like, what they did, what they cared about, um, in every aspect of it, politics, economics, production, um, constraints, all those things, uh, the jokes got funnier and funnier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'd actually sort of gone from writing sort of abstract theoretical papers to more and more getting closer and closer to just straight up performance. Um, I stopped hanging out with the regular literature people and started hanging out more with the music history and theater people. And what I picked up from them was an appreciation for actually working together and producing things and creating things. Um, The real 
pragmatic aspects of, you know, if you tell this joke, are people going to laugh? Um, and then took that and into poetry translation as well and trying to make things rhyme in the target language, and in my case, English, the same way that they rhymed originally in Spanish or Italian or Latin. Um, and between, you know, trying to understand, okay, what are these people trying to do and how are they doing it? And then getting very practical about it, I kind of got tired of the university world and stopped wanting to be a professor. And again, it was 1999 and people were trying to figure out what the internet was all about. And I was actually doing projects where we were trying to assemble web pages to present information and coming up with a whole rhetoric of, of how the web worked. And wound up working for a, a startup company shortly afterwards because it just looked really interesting. They were trying to be all things business to business. It started out as sort of a, a catalog of different online services. And then they had a bunch of different ideas and they started trying to figure out, well, what does the world actually need? And I would go and talk to the CEOs of target customers and try to listen to them about, well, what are you trying to do? And and why are you trying to do that? And what what problems do you have? And take the information back to the engineering team. And they would then change the entire product strategy and go off and do something else based on what I'd come back with. Um, that didn't last too long because we kind of burned through all the, the startup money that we had at the time. Um, but then I shortly wound up doing something kind of similar at Microsoft. Um, the streaming video team, uh, this is back in the days of dial-up, was looking for someone to work with partner programs uh, and figure out, you know, how do we help customers that want to use this new technology in this new industry, you know, how do they, how do we help them do it? And it would, felt like a very natural transition to me at the time. Um, I went from figuring out how one big complicated cultural system works to figuring out how this industry is changing and how it all fits together. Um, I think the one sort of solid skill that I brought along with me, and I think everyone in technology should have at least one tactical skill, is um, writing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I could always take complicated ideas and put them into a, an easy-to-digest format for people and, and arrange them. So that was uh, sort, of, sort of the first step, um, making that move from the humanities into technology back in 1999. and from there, uh, it I kind of kept, you know, revisiting the same themes. Uh, at Microsoft, I got to see how this streaming video technology was changing an industry, changing entertainment. I went from there to I left Microsoft and worked in reality TV, uh, worked with uh, the CBS show Big Brother, delivering the the online experience there, and actually, again, I went from kind of the theoretical. Here's the technology for it into, well, let's actually use this stuff. Let's actually have an entertainment business that uses the new technology. Um, learned a ton doing that. Uh, and then, you know, it came time to follow the trend and figure out the next thing. And that strangely took me back to Microsoft, which surprised me. But I was looking for the overlap of online video and community interaction. And a lot of that was happening in training and education. And it was also a time when Microsoft was changing radically. The culture of Microsoft was changing. Satya Nadella 
had just taken over uh, the head of the company. And um, it was fascinating to watch how every industry was now being changed by the, the move to cloud computing. Um, and then my, to wrap up the whole answer to the first question, mm -hmm. um, the, I, I felt like sitting at Microsoft corporate, I was really too far from what customers were actually doing and too far from the sales process. And so my current role is I'm working in the US subsidiary for Microsoft, uh, working with our field sales folks, and I'm now much closer to the customers and much closer to sales. That's a fascinating um, journey that you've taken all the way from music and theater into um, startup company and then to Microsoft and then reality TV and back to Microsoft. I love it. Um, I think there's a common theme in, um, in your journey and that is you're very good at and you said writing, but I picked up more of solving problems, you know, finding where the problem is and then finding a technology solution to solve that problem, which I see, you know, kind of a trend in your career. Yeah, I think the, you know, problems are interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I get bored very quickly and solved problems aren't very interesting. So, um, you know, always looking for, you know, what's the... You know, what are people trying to do that they can't figure out? So yeah. I like problems. And you're looking for the challenge, right? To figure yeah. out the challenge to solve the problem. That's great. That's one of my uh, favorite parts of what I do, too, is to talk to customers and solve problems based on, you know, learning. So that's that's very neat. Um, so, you know, when you went into technology from theater, um, and you started at the startup company, and I believe, believe me, I really believe that's a great place to start because you learn everything about technology and business all at the same time, and you drink from a fire hose because startups need you to do everything. Um, so it's a really good boot camp. Um, when you started working with the internet and um, you know working with customers. Did you know that you now had this love for technology or did that spark come at a different time? The, I knew that I loved technology. I think, you know, the first computer program I wrote, I was uh, 13 years old and I figured out how to transpose Bach um, into 8-bit audio. Oh, wow. uh, I had a computer that could play four different voices. It was... Um, sounded terrible, but I could figure out how to write the program, you know, play this kilohertz at this, you know, <laughs> for this long. And, uh -huh. um, and uh, I, I loved technology and I enjoyed it. Uh, at the time that I started out, I, you know, the job I have today didn't exist. Um, uh -huh. There was no way to go to school for it. Uh, and I think along the way, um, you know, I've always, I'm happiest at with newest technology. Mm -hmm. uh, things that are disruptive, things that aren't, you know, haven't quite shaken out yet, the, where there, there's a lot of you know, possibilities. Um, and so I think that that combined with, the, you know, some technical aptitude, uh, I do spend time getting hands-on with the tools. Uh, mm -hmm. I never actually have to finish a project because <laughs> uh, my role is essentially marketing, um, but I do have to teach people. Mm -hmm. um, and so the you know need to understand what what are these tools they're trying to use and how what order do you use them in what you know how do you take them from where they're at to where they need to be um and i think it's the you know i talked earlier about enjoying the pragmatic parts of literature 
And uh, I'm in some ways I've been sort of surprised I haven't encountered more people with my background um, in technology, but where I do encounter them is, you know, I encounter musicians quite frequently. Mm -hmm. um, and there is that direct tie-in between, you know, writing code and writing music and performing it and, and performance that I think, you know, it's music is just another technology and uh, code is just a, another type of art at the end of the day. Very cool. Um, so as you know, the tech, tech industry is one of the most competitive job markets and um, there's a huge demand and we also know there's a huge skills gap right now for technical skills. Um, so what do you do and being at Microsoft, um, you're constantly evolving. Uh, what do you do to set yourself apart from your peers? I think that there's two things that 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 I that I do. One is I, I teach people things, um, and that's really helpful. People, mm -hmm. you know, they don't love technology because of what it is. They they love it because of what they can do with it. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I'm teaching someone something, the, there's two questions I ask. One is, well, what do you want to do? And then the second is, why do you want to do that? And it's the, the second question is where it gets interesting. Um, and you truly learn something by teaching it. You know, you don't really master it until you've had to teach it, but then you learn so much more while you're teaching it because then you learn, you know, what your students are learning mm -hmm. and what they're bringing to the table. And so the first is, yeah, I differentiate myself by teaching things. And the other, um, it's a little cliche, but having a growth mindset, which mm -hmm. is closely related. And culture is very important. Uh, I've found out, and as I've, you know, looked around in, in different organizations and moved around throughout Microsoft and outside of Microsoft. I'm, I'm happiest when I'm working with people who uh, enjoy challenges like I do mm -hmm. and people who are different from me mm -hmm. um, and, and who can bring that diversity of perspective in there. And so the being able to actively contribute to a culture and have a sense for this is who you know, we as a group want to be and what we value and what's important to us and to, to grow a culture uh, which again mm -hmm. also just goes back to my, my educational background of I, it was the study of how culture gets created um, back I in love the growth yeah I love the growth mindset and <clears throat> also love that you're always teaching because I was going to say and you said it is that teaching helps you learn and so you're constantly growing you're continuously learning uh, both with teaching as well as with the growth mindset so that's that's great that is really great. Um, so certification is a big deal uh, today in our industry. What is your um, stance on certification? Certification is valuable. Um, I think there's, in the obvious way, you know, I mentioned earlier that the things we're doing today, you couldn't have gone to school for mm -hmm. five years ago. Uh, and so certification does help you know, identify, yeah, these people are legit. These are the ones that have done the job. They can mm -hmm. do it. But I think the other the other piece of it for me is I actually spend a lot of time looking at certification paths and looking through the domain objectives. Um, I'm most familiar with the Microsoft certifications, of course, but the, you know, when, when developers set out to build some new technology, they don't, they just kind of make stuff. Uh, and then it's up to other people to make that stuff work. Mm -hmm. And then it's up to another set of people to teach people how to make that stuff work. <laughs> and by the time you get to that third group, the the ability to organize it all into meaningful frameworks that map back to job roles and, 
and, and place it in a in a sequence that can be consumed. There's just a lot of value in even if I don't have to pass the exams, knowing what is going to be tested and why. And so I, I find certifications to be just a, an excellent framework for how things fit together. Um, and you know, I think what goes with that though is that when I do actually get certified, it's because um, it's something I do in my job. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something I do before I take on a project. It's something I do, I get into a project, I realize, oh, I'm you know, over my head, the whole organization is, I better you know, go a little deeper. And then if it's something that offers a certification along the way, I'll, I'll, take, the, I'll take the exam, I'll take the cert. Mm -hmm. um, it's, and for me, that's also, this is much part of learning um, as anything. I'm, 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 I'm about the education, not the, not the degree. Yeah. You know, I, I dropped out of that PhD program a long time ago. Mm -hmm. How do you take and apply what you're learning from the cert is, is the most important. So yeah. very true. Very true. Um, so, you know, it seems like you're always continuously learning. You're getting certified, you're taking the exams, you're solving problems. Um, how do you stay relevant? So do you have some best practices around making sure that you're always current and relevant? I think the, you know, you, we mentioned earlier, looking for interesting problems, mm -hmm. um, things that, you know, keep other people up at night. The, there's, you know, open green field space to play in where there's interesting problems. Mm -hmm. And people, other people show up with interesting technology to take on those problems. Um, and, and I think the one thing that's actually sort of hard to do in our industry is to find good case studies of failures. Um, people just don't talk about mm -hmm. them. But when mm -hmm. I can find a good one, I, I really dig in um, to learn like what went wrong, what could have made, you know, kept this on track. Um, so I think, you know, looking for things that scare people, looking for things that people have <laughs> failed at, these are opportunities. Yeah, um, that's how we and learn. A, and, and along the way, you, you find yourself talking to experts. And if I'm talking to somebody who's passionate about something and deeply knowledgeable, I'll, I'll feed off of that and, mm -hmm. and take it as a, as a signpost for where I should look next. So this is a million dollar question. Um, where do you see technology and, and yourself? So two part question in the next five years, 10 years. I know when I look back, um, I could never imagine where we are today in technology and the cloud and all the IOT devices and everything. Um, but what's your vision? I think the, the, a couple of things have to happen. There's things are really complicated right now. There's a lot that we can do, but you need to, there's a lot of, a lot of people are working on how do you abstract away some of that complexity, um, both with, you know, the goals of artificial intelligence, for example. Uh, you know, I was working on a project where uh, interns were trying to teach an app to recognize um, drills and mm -hmm. it was, you know, kind of an interesting problem. They're, they took an interesting approach to it. And, but where they themselves got inspired is where we, AI was able to do the work without them having to do the work, really. It's as AI gets simpler and as we democratize AI, um, we'll see that accelerate. And the same thing will happen with IT infrastructure. Um, we, we spoke in a previous episode about Kubernetes. Kubernetes is crazy complicated to do yourself. 
But at the end of the day, if you do it right, it's just kind of an API that gives you all your infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, and there'll be some people that need to be deep on that complexity, but I think that the, the opportunities are in you know, making that simpler for everyone. Um, and you know, so make it simpler and make it easier. Uh, mm -hmm. Things will get easier. And then again, then we can get back to, instead of playing around with our, our toys and tools, which is a lot of fun and always will be, solving real problems. Um, you know, so where I see myself is it would be nice to um, be able to just move from project to project, picking up interesting problems. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm trying to um, make as many friends with problems as I can find. <laughs> That's great. Um, you like problems. I like change. I think we'll do well in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, one more question uh, before we close, if you could give one piece of advice uh, to our listeners who might be seeking a, a technology career, what would that be? Pay attention to what you enjoy. The, mm -hmm. if part of this industry is being creative and you know, looking at things in new ways. And, and I think part of that is joy. Uh, you won't be creative if, you, if you're not having fun and mm -hmm. being able to play and have fun. It's a, it's a way of looking at the world uh, that helps you take things apart, put it back together in, in new, interesting, fun ways. And so pay attention to where you're having fun. And if you're not having fun, take a step back and, and figure out why not um, and, and yeah. trust that. You don't, you don't always grow through pain. Yeah, I think um, where I'm really grateful is I love my job and it's because I really have fun doing what I do. And, you know, like you, solving business problems, solving uh, challenges, always uh, moving from one thing to another that's different always keeps me on my toes. And I think that's, that's really good advice um, because, you know, in this dynamic world, Things are changing by the second, and we really need to enjoy what we're doing. Yeah, and just to have the stick to itiveness to see it through to the end. That's if right. It's, if it's no fun, you won't get to the end of the road. <laughs> yes, that's so true. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed having you on the show, and I hope to have you on soon again. Thanks so much. This is great. Thank you. Stay tuned for another exciting interview just around the corner. As your organization continues to embrace and adopt new technologies, does your team have the skills required to make the most of your investments? Directions Training offers IT professional and end-user training for the most popular solutions today, including Microsoft 365, Azure, AWS, Cisco, Citrix, VMware, and much more. Our flexible delivery methods and full customized offerings make sure that you get the training you need just the way you need it, in person, virtual, on demand, or through a blended approach. Success is a journey. Ask for directions. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com for more information today. Welcome back to Tech in the Right Direction. This week in our Women in Tech segment, I will be talking with Lexi Kassan. Lexi is a data scientist and general advocate for math and stats to anyone who will listen. 
She currently shares a numerical passion as a product owner and community of practice leads for advanced analytics at CCG Analytics in Tampa, Florida. Professionally, Lexi has been in marketing and analytics for most of her career, helping big brands solve big problems with big data. She also is the host of the Data Science Ethics Podcast. Personally, Lexi loves dogs, geocaching, and chasing thought experiments down rabbit holes. Her current pet projects include a website all about eggs and a podcast on data science ethics. Favorite languages are SQL, Python, and French. Welcome to the show, Lexi. I'm so happy to have you on. Thanks, glad to be here. So let's get started. Can you share with us a little bit about your career path in technology? I started out as a business analyst in a technology company that was building a platform for health insurers to include all of their information, all of their claims, all of their providers, their participants, uh, everything. And as a business analyst, I started understanding the different programming languages involved, a little bit about data, uh, but interestingly enough, I never touched a database at that point in my career. I'd never touched anything, any actual data. Uh Then from there, I took a semester kind of not working in tech. Um, I was getting my master's at the time, had a semester abroad, and came back to work as a publisher account analyst for a very large online affiliate marketing company, which started to get me more into data and more into doing actual analysis. Uh, Progressed from there into further into marketing, further into advertising, specifically following the data and really trying to get more in-depth in statistical modeling and, and what eventually became data science. So over time, as I went from company to company, I was really seeking that statistical orientation. When I was here in Florida, which is where I am still, I started out at a bank and then went from there to a loyalty marketing company where I was the director of strategic services, essentially leading the reporting and analytics teams and really getting very involved in the technologies we were using, the data that we were collecting and making it meaningful for our clients. And I've progressed from there into even more technical uh, positions. Partly, it's been a surprise to me because when I started out, I was an economics major. I didn't think that I was ever going to be technical. I came out of school fully convinced that I would never need to know a programming language in my life. Here I am, X number of years later, I'm not going to say what that X is, (laughs) that I know probably four or five different programming languages. I am now acting as a solution architect in cloud technologies. I've been doing data science since the term data science came to be. And it's really been a fascinating progression, the way that technology has taken over and certainly the way that I have progressed into it, becoming more and more technical as the years have gone by. That is 
amazing. You have such an amazing career in technology. And I, um, I'm thinking back to what you were saying about, you know, um, analyzing data and, and being in the analytics field. And I think you were so far ahead of your time because now data is becoming very prominent and we're seeing people, you know, look at data to make business decisions. But, you know, in the past, they didn't do it as much. And you were already uh, in that field analyzing data, which I think is is awesome. So uh, did you always know that working with technology is what you wanted to do? I know as you came out of as an economics, um, having an economics major, that was not your intent. But when did you know that you loved to work with technology? What was that spark? Oh, man, it's tough. I definitely did not believe that I was going to be a technologist when I was in school. I went into college as a declared medieval and renaissance studies major, <laughs> hoping to never touch technology, I'm pretty sure. That said, I always loved math. I was never the best at it. I was solid Bs in trig doing pretty darn well in algebra and calculus, but it was never the, the highlight of my, of my educational experience, but I loved it. I loved doing math and I especially loved statistics. When I got into college, it became apparent that trying to get a degree in medieval and Renaissance studies was not going to work very well. And so I started really getting into economics as you continue in economics, if if you progress in that field, you start seeing econometrics, which is an applied statistics, and I fell in love. I wanted to do statistics forever and thought it was the best thing that I could ever have found. From there, though, where I thought I was going to go was actuarial science. Until I spoke with one of my economics professors who told me that their wife was an actuary, which at that time was actually quite surprising, finding uh, a woman who had followed that career path and that much mathematics and technology at that time was really quite uh, a feat. And he told me about her experience and the fact that she would come home and say to him, today, I put a number on someone's life. And that really struck me. So I decided against actuarial work and started to look for other opportunities to use statistics. As I mentioned, my first job out of college was as a business analyst. It was something I'd never even heard of, never thought about. And as I looked at the way that we were doing our jobs, what we were doing, we were looking at system integration. Mm -hmm. I didn't think of it that way. I never said to myself, I'm doing system integration and figuring out the configuration of programmatic interfaces between the centers for Medicare and Medicaid services and this technology. I just thought I'm putting together logic. This is logic. I'm trying to figure out how this data should be structured so that it allows it to come in and be stored. Okay, I can figure that out, having never touched a database. And what I came to realize over time as I progressed through my career is that I really needed some of those technology tools 
that I hadn't wanted to focus on in my prior education and in my prior positions. But as I became more involved in statistics, more involved in using data, more involved in modeling data, it became apparent that I really needed more technology. And that was something that over time I was able to get. Uh, I was able to pick up additional languages through the use of the trainings that my companies offered, through the use of uh, now online courses. I've certainly taken my fair share of Coursera courses mm-hmm. and really just using them. And I've developed a very deep love of data. The foundation of using data for statistics was a big part of that, wanting to understand what that data could tell me and really dig into what it had to say and give it a voice. That was always a big part of my love of statistics. And especially as I got more and more into econometrics and modeling systems and understanding the levers that could be pulled to cause outcomes, I thought it was fascinating. But to do all of that, I needed technology. And it's only been, I think, in the last probably four or five years that I've really thought of myself as a technologist. Prior to that, I was a statistician who just happened to need technology. Mm-hmm. Now I see more of the technology and I have a deeper understanding and appreciation for what goes on under the data that helps that data really sing. That's very impressive. Um, so as you know, you know our industry, the technology industry is very male dominated. Um, do you feel women have the same opportunities as men in this tech world? It's a loaded question, and it's one that's very difficult to answer unilaterally. I have seen some women flourish and others feel tremendously set back. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a dual standard for women in technology, especially We're expected to know and to do things with technology, but not to outshine. We're expected to communicate effectively without being overbearing in ways that I don't feel that men necessarily have to walk on eggshells or to position themselves. I have some very good friends who are women in technology also who've not had as much success as I have. And I don't honestly know all of the reasons why Mm -hmm. I think that there's a, I don't quite know the word, maybe a posturing Mm -hmm. that can happen between men and women in the workplace that if you stand out for what you can do, you can find a way to overcome it. And there's a certain attitude that I think goes a long way, but you also have to have men in those positions that are receptive to that attitude, which is to be forthright and forthcoming with what you need to get done without bringing a lot of the personal attachment and emotion. And I feel like For women, there's often a very difficult balance held there to try to disconnect those parts of our life in the workplace. Very well said. Um, So 
you know, you've been very successful in this technology field. Can you share with us some of the challenges that you may, may have faced and what you did to overcome them? Huh. I feel like I've been very lucky in technology. For instance, when I was up in Boston, I was working for a very large advertising agency and advertising and marketing are primarily female dominated. Mm -hmm. What I find to be true of marketing and especially marketing technology is that it is a much more balanced technology environment between the sexes and that marketing and the understanding of consumer behavior has been female driven for quite some time, creative and uh, to some degree marketing targeting that relationship management element has been heavily female dominated in many places in the US. Whereas the technology side, which are now coming together to be marketing technology, mar you know, technology has been male dominated. So you have this blend. And I feel like in my career, I've had a lot of opportunities to bridge that gap mm -hmm. in bringing data and technology into a female-driven organization. When I was in Boston, I worked for an advertising agency that was a very difficult place to get in to be an employee. A lot of people applied there, primarily on the creative side. A lot of my female friends, even from high school, were wondering how I got into this agency. And the way I got in was I applied to be a statistician. Mm -hmm. I came into the technology side that nobody was looking at, right? And I feel like it was just a lucky break to some degree. Um, some of my hobbies probably helped me. I was a big online gamer. And I remember in my interview talking with my soon-to-be boss about how I would position computers to gamers uh, just happened to work out. <laughs> um, uh -huh. And he also happened to be a gamer. So again, just sheer luck. Um, I think from a from a difficult situation standpoint, one of the trickier places I was um, was really, I, I can think of two. One was when I was working in finance for about a year. I was working in the mortgage division of a very large bank between 2007 and 2008, which was probably the worst time to work in the mortgage division of a bank because that's when the housing market collapsed. I was doing forecasting for loan default and I saw what was happening with the bubble and, and this surge of overdue loans and foreclosures and real estate owned and so forth. And I remember trying to warn people that, you know, if, if we didn't do something, we're going to lose our shirt. Uh -huh. Um, you know, and, and it was a tough, it was a tough industry. It's a tough place to be. People don't like hearing bad news. Um, uh, but when I was there, I was able to help spearhead a loan modification program that was proactive to be able to save the bank a lot of money because they were able to contact people and let them know that their loan was gonna come up for an adjustment on their rate 
and they needed a way to figure out, is this person going to be able to afford the loan? Mm -hmm. I was able to help put together tooling for that team, for that loan modification team to give them information to base those decisions on so that people could keep their houses and the bank would make, you know, keep those Mm -hmm. loans on the books and keep them current. And that really, again, it was sort of a combination of seeing what was coming and having people who would listen, but being able to make the case. And a lot of, a lot of what anything is in, in overcoming an obstacle is understanding the other person's point of view that you're talking with. I took a course when I was in my master's that was, I think it was international negotiation or something like that. And it talked about trying to understand the perspective of the person you're negotiating with, really that role-playing dynamic. As an analyst, you have to tell stories. You have to understand those different perspectives and points of view. And so it was a good fit for me to be able to, to position that type of thing. There's also in the marketing world, you call it the WIFM, what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being able to position the that WIFM for the person I was speaking to at the bank to say, look, the bank's going to lose a lot of money if you don't do something. Let's let's do something really good here and position it to them as you're going to make your numbers <laughs> if we do right. this. Um, the same thing is true, uh, kind of skip forward a couple of years. I was in a position where I didn't get along very well with the head of IT, which as a marketing technologist is a very difficult spot because they control all the technology. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's a tough one when you need to get the, the work done and uh, you, know, the, you have somebody who's not cooperating. And I, I can't say that there was a great outcome there other than eventually we got it done because I was able to point to the clients and say, look, they're the ones writing the check. We collectively need to do this for them. We collectively need to meet the need. Let's figure this out, you know, egos aside. Uh But that was the more difficult situation. And I'll tell you, that's an obstacle that I didn't get over at that point. Um, That relationship continues to be probably the most troubling as I look back in my career as to how I was interacting with someone and the obstacles we were facing and the fact that we couldn't come together as a team. Part of that, I think, was cultural within that organization. And part of it, I think, was individual with Uh regard to just our interaction. Uh I think, um, you know, a lot of times you said, you know, you were lucky and where you were in tech at the right time and the right place. But I really see that you you know, exude skills, confidence, innovation, strategy, all of those things as part of your career that you very thoughtfully uh, used each of those things to get yourself to that next level. You might not see it, but I can see it definitely pretty clearly that, that you have that confidence, you have the skills, you're thinking creatively, you're bringing in innovation, and then strategizing. When you say what's in it for the other person, that's really important. And you're speaking their language at that point. So very, very, very impressive. Um, Oh, thanks. So I know you said you take some courses, uh, but what are some of the best practices you use to keep your technology skills current? I do take a lot of courses if I if I have time. 
And Mm. that's a very tricky thing to say because I feel like I have inverse time at this point. More often than not, I research technologies as I need to to make sure that what I'm seeing and trying to put together, especially from an architectural standpoint, is sound and meets the needs and is at least to some degree future-proof. Even now, when I look at technology that's coming out, a lot of it is just staying subscribed to newsletters from specific companies and technologies that I'm more interested in and seeing what they have that's coming up new, especially in their new feature set, there's a lot that can be gleaned from looking at what those technologies that you're very interested and involved in are integrating with or are releasing to see where they're going, where are they skating to, what puck are they chasing? Because that helps to see industry-wise where you're likely to end up going. Yeah, I, I really like the focus of um, staying current on the technologies that you're interested in because there's so much out there and it's very, very hard to be, you know, relevant in each one of the different technologies. So really staying focused, getting being informed of the new changes coming out in the technologies you're interested in, I think is a very smart choice. Um, All right, so in closing, um, what three words would your friends use to describe you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. I don't know. My gosh. What would you think that they would say? I know it's tough to describe yourself. It's it's tough to describe myself as my friends would describe me. All right. Well, describe yourself uh, as you. Would describe. I think my my friends would probably say something like verbose. <laughs> um, um, fun loving, and probably data oriented. I'm literally <laughs> wearing a shirt that says "Trust Data, Not Lore" and has pictures of data and lore from Star Trek, the next generation on it. So <laughs> that's great. I think those are great descriptions and, um, you know, really keeping data in mind every day, I think is so critical and that's where our world is moving towards. So thank you so much, Lexi, for your time. It was such a pleasure having you a guest on, on our show. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And now, an exclusive offer for our listeners. From IT skill enhancements to end-user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.
Thanks for listening to Technology in the Right Direction, your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world. To download this week's show or listen to past shows, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Past shows are also available at ewnpodcastnetwork.com, as well as through iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out how to be a guest on the show, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, we hope that technology takes your business in the right direction. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast.